Chapter Thirty Two of Gunsight Pass How Oil Came to the Cattle Country and Brought a New West by William McLeod Rain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Dave Becomes an Office Man. From Graham came a wire a week after the return of the oil expert to Denver. It read, Report Satisfactory. Can you come at once and arrange with me plan of organization? Sanders was on the next train. He was still much needed at Malapi to look after getting supplies and machinery and to arrange for a wagon train of oil teams, but he dropped or delegated this work for the more important call that had just come. His contact with Graham uncovered a new side of the state builder, one that was to impress him in all the big businessmen he met. They might be pleasant socially and bear him a friendly goodwill, but when they met to arrange details of a financial plan, they always wanted their pound of flesh. Graham drove a hard bargain with him. He tied the company fast by legal control of its affairs until his debt was satisfied. He exacted a bonus in the form of stock that fairly took the breath of the young man with whom he was negotiating. They fought him round by round and found the great man smooth and impervious as polished agate. Yet Dave liked him. When they met at lunch, as they did more than once, the grizzled westerner who had driven a line of steel across almost impassable mountain passes was simple and frank in talk. He had taken a fancy to this young fellow, and he let him know it. Perhaps he found something of his own engaging, dogged youth in the strong-jawed range rider. "'Does a financier always hog-tie a proposition before he backs it?' Dave asked him once with a sardonic gleam in his eye always no matter how much he trusts the people he's doing business with he binds them hard and fast just the same it's the only way to do give away as much money as you want to but when you loan money look after your security like a hawk even when you're dealing with friends especially when you're dealing with friends corrected the older man otherwise you're likely not to have your friends long don't believe i want to be a financier decided sanders it takes the hot blood out of you admitted graham i'm not sure if i had my life to live over again knowing what i know now that i wouldn't choose the outdoors like west and crawford sanders was very sure which choice he would like to make he was at present embarked on the business of making money through oil but some day he meant to go back to the serenity of a ranch there were times when he left the conferences with Graham or his lieutenants sick at heart because of the uphill battle he must fight to protect his associates. From Denver he went east to negotiate for some oil tanks and material with which to construct reservoirs. His trip was a flying one. He entrained from Lappy once more to look after the loose ends that had been accumulating locally in his absence. A road had to be built across the desert contracts must be let for hauling away the crude oil a hundred details awaited his attention he worked day and night often he slept only a few hours he grew lean in body and curt of speech lines came into his face that had not been there before but at his work apparently he was tireless as steel springs meanwhile brad steelman molded to undermine the company Dave's men finished building a bridge across a gulch late one day. It was blown up into kindling wood by dynamite that night. Wagons broke down unexpectedly. Shipments of supplies failed to arrive. 
engines were mysteriously smashed. The sabotage was skillful. Steelman's agents left no evidence that could be used against them. More than one of them, Hart and Sanders agreed, were spies who had found employment with the jackpot. One or two men were discharged on suspicion, even though complete evidence against them was lacking. The responsibility that had been thrust on Dave brought out in him unsuspected business capacity. During his prison days, there had developed in him a quality of leadership. He had been more than once in charge of a road-building gang of convicts and had found that men naturally turned to him for guidance. But not until Crawford had shifted to his shoulders the burdens of the jackpot did he know that he had it in him to grapple with organization on a fairly large scale. He worked without nerves, day in, day out, concentrating in a way that brought results. He never let himself get impatient with details. Thoroughness had long since become the habit of his life. To this he added a sane common sense. Jackpot number four came in a good well, though not a phenomenal one like its predecessor. Number five was already halfway down to the sands. Meanwhile, the railroad crept near. Malappy was already talking of its big celebration when the first engine should come to town. Its council had voted to change the name of the place to Bonanza. The tide was turning against Steelman. He was still a very rich man, but he seemed no longer to be a lucky one. He brought in a dry well. On another location, the cable had pulled out of the socket, and a forty-foot auger stem and bit lay at the bottom of a hole fifteen hundred feet deep. His best producer was beginning to cough a weak and intermittent flow, even under steady pumping. And to add to his troubles, a quiet little man had dropped into town to investigate one of his companies. He was a government agent, and the rumor was that he was gathering evidence. Sanders met Thomas on the street. He had not seen him since the prospector had made his wild ride for safety with the two outlaws hard on his heels. "'Glad you made it, Mr. Thomas,' said Dave. "'Good bit of strategy. When they reached the notch, Shorty and Doble never once looked to see if we were around. They lit out after you on the jump. Did they come close to getting you?' "'It looked like bullets would be flying. I won't say who would have got who if they had,' he said modestly. "'But I was looking for no trouble.' I don't aim to be one of these here fire-eaters, but I'll fight like a wildcat when I got to. The prospector looked defiantly at Sanders, bristling like a bantam which had been challenged. We certainly owe you something for the way you drew the outlaws off our trail, Dave said gravely. Say, have you heard how the government is getting after Steelman? He's a wily bird, old Brad is, but he slipped up when he sent out his advertising for the great mogul. A photographer faked a gusher for him, and they sent it out on the circulars. Sanders nodded without comment. Steelman can make him flow on paper, anyhow, Thomas chortled, but he's sure in a kettle of hot water this time. Mr. Steelman is enterprising, Dave admitted dryly. Say, Mr. Sanders, have you heard what's become of Shorty and Doble? the prospector asked, lapsing into ill concealed anxiety. I see the sheriff has got a handbill out offering a reward for their arrest and conviction. You don't reckon these fellows would bear me any grudge, do you? No, but I wouldn't travel in the hills alone if I were you. If you happen to meet them, they might make things unpleasant. They are both killers. I'm a peaceable citizen, as the fellow says. Of course, if they crowd me to the wall... They won't, Dave assured him. 
he knew that the outlaws if the chance ever came for them would strike at higher game than thomas they would try to get either crawford or sanders himself the treasurer of the jackpot did not fool himself with any false promises of safety the two men in the hills were desperate characters game as any in the country gunfighters and they owed both him and crawford a debt they would spare no pains to settle in full some day there would come an hour of accounting End of chapter 32